Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. We'd like to welcome our guest on today's episode, Fire Chief Jack Glynn. Jack is Chief of the Abington Fire Department, and we are very excited to chat with him today about mental health and first response, what resources are available to the men and women under his command, the overall health and wellness of the Abington Fire Department, and the logistics of running it. So, Chief, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, and please take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you guys both very much. I was incredibly honored that you guys asked me to be here. Uh, so I am a 33-year veteran of fire and EMS. I started my career in Florida, Pinellas County. Uh, I did six years down there, moved up here back to the South Shore area, where I'm originally from. I uh, did two years full-time with South Shore Hospital Paramedics before firefighters were paramedics in fire departments. We covered 16 towns with an ALS intercept truck, so we would meet fire departments on the way to the hospital with an SUV, jump out, start advanced life support measures, get back in the ambulance and transport. And this could be anywhere from Hull, Duxbury, Pembroke, Hanover, anywhere in the South Shore. Um, I made my connection with Abington through that because I started doing some in-service training with some of the area fire departments, and Abington was one. And I was fortunate enough when I started, I spoke with the chief at the time, Malcolm Whiting, and said, this is the direction the rest of the country has, is everybody has firefighter paramedics, and it might be something you want to do. I'm dying to get back in the fire department. This is something I've always wanted to get back into. So it was about a two-year lull. And then early 96, I got back on Abington Fire, and I've been there ever since. I've uh, you know, been a firefighter paramedic, like I said, I think about 32, 33 years. Wow. And, uh, been busy. Mm. How about your family? <clears throat> kids? Have you any kids? I currently... I'm engaged to an mm. incredible woman. Um, she gives me strength that I can't even express how much strength. Um, brings out the best in me and uh, teaches me a lot about myself. And that's what I think um, growth is all about. I have two incredible kids. My daughter Stephanie is 30. And I have to share this story a little bit because yeah. when she was getting into college, she wanted to be a nurse. And for her entrance she wrote that 9-11 inspired her to do that because she said she was a little kid and she remembers seeing my reaction when it happened. And she said, I want to help people like my dad does. Mm. So she went to nursing school. Um, she's been a nurse now, I think, about seven or eight years. She works on the transplant floor at Tufts Hospital in Boston. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. And she'll share all kinds of stories with me, but she lives with her longtime boyfriend, Esteban, um, and then my son, AJ, 
He lives with his wife, Jocelyn, in Hanson. He works full-time for UPS. He's been a call firefighter with Hanson. Um, wow. I'm blessed. Two great kids and uh, extended kids between my, my daughter-in-law and hopefully future son-in-law. Wow. So it sounds like first response, right, with your son and also your daughter is in the family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there any other, like, other family members, like uncles, aunt, aunt, anybody? What inspired you? In like, the fire service? Yeah. Um, so I'm third generation. My oh. grandfather was on Boston Fire up until, I think, 46. Um, I'm told that he actually responded to the Coconut Grove Fire. He was on duty. Uh, my father was a Navy veteran, and in 44, he got on Boston Fire and then retired in 1976. Um, I've got a couple of uncles that um, have been in the service as well. Um, quite a lengthy resume, and when I moved to Florida, that's when I figured out I wanted to do it. At first, I thought to myself, I'm never going to measure up. I'm not going to be able to be who everyone else is. And that was, you know, mm. that was immaturity at the time. And then mm. when I decided I was going to do it, um, I fell in love with it. And when I became a paramedic down in Florida, it was um, down there was a little different than up here, that if you're a paramedic, you were the last people to be laid off. So it was a job security thing. And then when I did it, I fell in love with it, the adrenaline rush and, and loving when the worst of situations is happening. I was right in the middle of it, and I loved it. And uh, in my mind, I was indestructible. Mm. So it took the next 31 years of processing all that, you know, <laughs> I'm, as, I'm, I'm as non-indestructible as it comes. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. Wow. I mean, I've heard that like so many interviews that we've done, right? That, um, you know, different first responders, like either a, a police officer and they come out of the academy and, and they're saying, you know, bring on the cartel, we're, we're ready to get them or, or a firefighter, like we're going to, we're going to do it, you know, who are that type of stuff, right? Bring it on. Um, but I love that you're sort of sharing this with you. You have so much experience behind you. Are there any differences uh, that stand out to you between the job down in Florida and up here? It just might be it interesting was, for our yeah, listeners. It was, it was very different down there in that we, in Florida, where I worked, we were pretty much technology-wise and how the system ran. We were a good 20 years ahead of where Massachusetts is now. And, it's, mm. and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. It was just... <clears throat> They, where I worked, in the county I worked in, they were so progressive. So, But we actually had, you can appreciate this, Jay, as being a firefighter, we had ALS engines. So we had a countywide transport system. So you had advanced life support paramedics that were spaced out around the county, and they were dispatched to a medical call. But every fire department had advanced life support engines. So we responded to the call in an engine. Every f- person on that engine was a firefighter paramedic. And wow. the manning down mm. there, yeah. three to four persons per vehicle like it should be, not like the two it is up here sometimes. Um, so we started care. <clears throat> we initiated care. If it was something serious, we would go with the transport ambulance to the hospital and continue it. Or if it was something where we, it was managed, we could hand off to, to the paramedics that were taken over. Um, yeah, it was... <clears throat> wow. definitely quite a difference in that aspect not to mention just the things you see down there too mm-hmm. with it from up here it's uh i never dealt with a frozen hydrant down in florida yeah um <laughs> we, we used to make jokes about the terrain down yeah. there that it's so flat that i could stand on my roof and see the other end of the state and 
but we saw a lot of weather. Like, you know, we've got some of the hurricanes coming hurricanes, in now. Hurricanes, yeah. Yep. Hurricanes that hit up here are not the same down there. They hit down there, and it's catastrophic. Yeah. Um, we – I have a joke going because when my son um, – when he was he was going to be born in the next couple of months, we were up in the air between two names, and one of them was Andrew. Well, Hurricane Andrew came through down in South Florida and wreaked havoc, and I said, that's no, going to be an omen. It's going to be an omen. So we named him Andrew John. Oh, he was wow. named after the hurricane. Oh, my God. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's amazing to hear. Like, I'm glad that Jay asked that question, like, is there a difference between – um, you know, first response um, in down in, in Florida based up here. And that was a long time ago, right? Mm. So it's amazing to think that, you know, even all that time ago, how ahead they they were. Yeah. Mm. It's very interesting. Yes, it is. For sure. I want to just have to share with the, the listeners. So if I'm calling them Jack or across the table, uh, it's not being disrespectful um, to them because we've gotten to know each other over a couple of years. So... I know him as Jack, um, but I want to obviously um, be respectful that he is Chief Glenn and uh, in the Abington uh, Fire Department. So Jack is perfect. Jack is okay. Thank you for giving me that permission. <laughs> um, so we want to go back um, a little, a bit, you know, to your way back when, right? You were down in Florida. Mm-hmm. You came back up to, um, you know, Massachusetts. <coughs> you moved back in here, and then you got on Abington. Mm-hmm. Right, twenty-seven years or so. Right, is it? Yeah, now? yeah. I think it's yeah. I'm, I'm in my end of my twenty-seventh year. Almost twenty-seven years. Now. Yeah. So that's a long time in one department, mm-hmm. and uh, you get to see a lot. And this is um, what roles have you played? Share with us going back then, like what you came in as uh, a first responder there, and then you know picking up. Obviously, difference right from down in Florida and then coming back up here, different way of doing things. And you had to learn that way of doing things. Um, you know, was it easy to settle in? Were you like a sponge? Were you, or were you, you know, just taking in or being a, a follower, like picking up from somebody else? Or how did you, how did you get into that? It, <coughs> it's funny. If that um, makes sense. <coughs> excuse me. It absolutely makes sense. Um, I've heard that expression a million times about a duck in the water. And when I became a paramedic, I was a duck in the water. My, I was calm as a cucumber on the outside. My feet were going a 1,000 miles an hour under the water. Mm. Um, learning, because down in Florida, they, they matched me up. I became a paramedic, and they matched me up with another paramedic. But there were days in my first couple of shifts where there was no other paramedic. So I had to make those decisions. And it was just expected coming out of school that you knew that. And I, I'll remember that one of my earliest calls down there was a um, it was very early on and myself and it was actually another new paramedic that that had um, graduated and uh, it was a school bus full of kids that flipped over on top of a car and there was someone trapped in the car and pulling up you had kids running diving out of the the, the bus like like ants and wow. uh, there was a girl inside long story short it, I can share that <clears throat> because Everything went well. Um, the girl that was in the car underneath had minor injuries. Everything went fine, but it was one of those eye-opening things like, oh, my God, I'm not, I'm not going to stand. I, I can't just show up like other people and, and, and stare or look or whatever. 
I'm the one that's got to make those decisions. And mm. that's, that's a weight to carry. And that's when it opened my eyes a little bit and said, there's a lot to this job. And I got, I, I felt really good about, um, <clears throat> I became very competent as a paramedic down there. But when I moved up from Florida and I started at South Shore Hospital, it was another eye-opener for me that, wow, uh, because with that system that we have up here, it, when I first came up, we would run, in a 12-hour shift, we'd run 11 to 12 advanced life support, like critical patients where I could be intubating two people in the field before they get to the hospital. I could be doing CPR on three or four people in one day. And it was overwhelming at first, and I'm like, well, I don't know if I can handle this, you know? And then it was little by little... I got my I got my feet under me, mm. but it, along the way you you take your lumps. And yeah. for anybody that's you know you got a crazy conscience, and in my case, uh, I'm I might be the king of overthinking, and uh, you know I beat myself up better than anybody. Yeah, yeah. You're looking <laughs> at Jay, but Jay, I, I Tiffany can tell you this. I'm if if there was a league of overthinking, I would be a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I was talking to someone the other day. I can still remember the exact names of certain people that I had critical calls on in mm. the last 32 years of my, my career. I, mm. can, I can give you their address. I can give you their names. I can give you the circumstances in it. It's, I don't want to be disrespectful and say those are the ghosts that show up, mm. um, but those, are, those certain circumstances stand out for certain reasons. Mm. Um, and... Uh, I don't know if that answered your question or whether it went off on a tangent, Linda. Yeah, no, you did answer the question. You added <coughs> a lot more to it. Um, you know, just after the, the fact of settling in up in this area versus Florida, right? And, you know, were you able to settle in? As you said, I was out to like a duck in the water. My, you know, I was, my head was above mm. the water, right? But my, my, my feet were like going a thousand Absolutely. miles. Absolutely. Explain what that, like, what's that, what's, <coughs> what's that mean and what that feeling what? is. So it's, it's when you show up in a call, and I know Jay can, you know, he can relate to this. From a leadership standpoint, if I'm not calm, no one else is going to be calm. Mm -hmm. And what I have to remind myself is, and it, it, it's, it may come off weird saying this, but it's not my emergency. It's someone else's emergency. I'm going to try to make it better. So if I show up and I'm freaking out, everybody's freaking out. So on the inside, I might be, oh, my feet yeah. might be going a thousand miles an hour on the inside, but no one's going to see it. So later on, what happens is, is I'm guarantee you, you can relate with this, Jay, is I can, in my mind, say, man, that call went perfect and we made a difference and we saved a life and we did this and we did all the things we need to do. And you come back and you're like, whew, adrenaline rush, feels good, 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 good. Maybe up late a little bit that night thinking it again. And then the next day you grab your coffee and your hand won't stop shaking. Mm. And you're like, what's going on here? I can't eat. And they add up. Um, yeah. And those are those type of things. So I guess that's the thing. Is So the duck in the water thing for me is you look calm on the outside, but if you look below the water, you see that you know, you're going crazy on the inside sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's very normal, but it's what we need to do to be able to mitigate something yeah. in any type of call. And I always... Growing up in my career, I always appreciated working with people that were calm because I had people that were very excitable, and they would make me feel anxious then too. So yes. that's what it was about. It was all about that. But then you have the letdown afterwards of, man, I'm, yeah. I'm a mess right now. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. And um, 
I think I had the conversation, I think, with you one time. And yes, you did. You know I where know I'm going with I, this. I know where you're going. And for people that are like contractors and builders, they drive down the street and they're with their family or whatever, and they say, hey, see that house over there? I built that deck. Mm. Man, I, I, remember, I remember, you know, putting that sprinkler system in over there. Remember that roof? I did that. For us as first responders, we drive down the street and say, I remember that guy dying in that house. Yeah. I remember that guy committed suicide right there. I remember the car accident here where the little kid got killed and the mom screaming. Mm-hmm. I remember this. And now, more prominent than it's been in decades, you're seeing a lot of the roadside memorials. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, it's loved one's way of expressing themselves. But I don't know if you have the same effect, Jay, but we, I've talked about it with a couple of my coworkers and said it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough because it's a reminder every day. Yes. And, uh, but, yeah, it's weird. So, like, my kids joke about it with me growing up because they're so good about it, and they would laugh and kind of go, we know, Dad, over there was the building fire. And, <laughs> and I would refer to it with, with Linda, and I said, I, I call it the dead tour. Yeah. And it's tough, but it's – you don't want to be morbid, but at the same time, that's what pops into our heads. That's right. You know, and I think it's cumulative over time, and I've seen it with other people. I've seen it with myself. Mm. Um, someone had – Use a, 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 you know, I used to always say it's like your tank gets full and it overflows. Mm-hmm. Someone told me recently, and I thought it was perfect, he said, it's more like a beach ball, and you're trying to push it down all the yep. way to the bottom of the swimming pool, and mm-hmm. it, it, you're smiling, so you guys must have heard this before. And he mm-hmm. told this to me recently, and I thought, that's amazing that you're pushing that beach ball down, and then all of a sudden, it, at a certain point, you can keep pushing it down, and it gets harder and harder, but sooner or later, it's going to pop, and when it does, it's going to explode, mm-hmm. and it's just going to blow up. And mm-hmm. I heard that, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's a great... A very accurate way, not great, but an accurate way of explaining yeah. it. So yeah, it's analogy. Yeah. So how do you get rid of that? How do you dilute that? How do you, you know, how do you you deal with it, and still be you along mm. the way, and be good with your family and happy mm. in life? And yeah, there's a lot to it. I'm going to get into that. Do you want to <clears throat> respond to that? Do you want to get in on that though? Yeah, I, I had a few thoughts. I, I think you hit on something important with uh, with the overthinking and it's sort of uh, along with everything else that we're talking about, right? Like you were talking about that bus incident, or mm. um, and I I think that it's a natural byproduct uh, of doing the job. I mean, when you're pulling up to a scene, you're sizing the scene up, right? What does that involve? Your you're uh, considering many approaches to, to uh, dealing with the circumstances that are unfolding that you can see in front of you, trying to select the best option really rapidly, making those decisions. Um, and, and I think the way that, that we think and view the world, anybody in first response, slowly changes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, in line with that is mental health, right? We often talk about the different perspective on this podcast when somebody comes on the job and then the way that that slowly changes. Right. And mental health is always in motion, right? It's progressive, uh, whether it's declining or whether it's improving, sort of depends on, on what you're taking in. And if it's just a steady diet of sizing up calls and uh, trying to deal with crisis, with trauma, um, you know, without any, without any healthy coping mechanisms, Oftentimes, that's, I think, a, a big part of what changes our perspective and brings that overthinking and, and other right. components of that into areas of our lives where sometimes it's just not helpful. No, so, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I, I realized probably 
probably about 20, 25 years ago, maybe, uh, that I, if I want to make a career of this, I got to find a healthy outlet. I have yeah. to find something. And one of the things I did is I went through CISM training, and I became a member of the Plymouth County Critical Incident and Stress Management Team. Did that for 15 years, and it was so rewarding because obviously it's confidential, but we went to different very high-profile um, incidents, but I knew we made a difference with some people, and they could relate, and I opened up to them and said, hey, I thought I was a rock star coming out, and I was an adrenaline junkie guy just like you, and I, and I, and I love the job, and I don't wish anything bad on anybody, but at the same time, man, if it's hitting the fan, I want to be there. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And, and after a while, I was like, I'm exhausted. Mm, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Why am I sad? Why am I upset? And I would talk with them about it. And, you know, eventually I, I, I left the team because, you know, other things were going on and it had mm-hmm. run its course. But um, you start to notice things. You yeah. definitely start to notice things. And <clears throat> for me, and you know, probably every person you've talked to, they always tell you, any, anything involving kids, that's sad. The thing that gets me as much, besides the, ch- the children, is... Um, it's the families. It's their reaction. And that's the thing that I've noticed because, like, when I'm working as a paramedic on a call, and it was early on in my career, I was so hyper-focused. And, and it was it was almost like an animate. It, it wasn't real. The person, it was almost like a mannequin in my mind, and I never did it. And I always told myself, don't look at their faces. Do what you have to do, but don't look at their faces. Mm-hmm. But all those tough ones I had, it was always the family's reaction. And mm-hmm. if I heard it, and it was... Um, there was a little boy, I won't mention his name, but it was a little boy, it was, this was 1994, it was East Bridgewater, and he was playing, six years old, and he was playing with his friend in his driveway. And the driveway went up, and there was embankments on either side of the driveway, and it was a beautiful summer, you know, summer day, and um, at the end of the day, and dad, sorry, dad, dad came home around the corner, and he didn't see them, and he ran them both over. He ran his own son over. And my partner and I had to split in different directions for it. I'm like, and I worked on the son. My partner worked on the other child that got flown out, multiple broken bones. He survived. The boy I had didn't survive. And, you know, I ate myself alive that night saying, if I did this, did this, whatever. The doctor that worked on him, I had just met three weeks before. So I had just come up recently from Florida. And I remember him looking at me, and he looked at me. He he had... He opened his chest up, trying to, and he looked at me, and he says, I'm sorry, man. He says, uh, he's empty. He's got no blood left in him. Mm. And at that point, I started walking out of the room. I'm like, all right, you know, and you, you're processing it. And then his mom collapsed on the floor of the Brockton Hospital screaming. And that scream, those are the things that will stay forever. And those are the tough ones. And how do you process that? How do you mm. go home? You know, and everybody says, you know, go home, and you hug your kids and hug your family, and you do all that. But that stays with you, mm. and it's so. How do you how do you dilute that? And that's when I was like, I got to talk to somebody. I have to get in and talk with somebody. And I'm not going to be one of these people that from different generations. I'm not going to whatever substance abuse or anything like that. I can't be that way. So I started going into therapy, and uh, I bounced back and forth with a few, th- few therapists. Didn't really connect all the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say, like, the last five or six years, I've had the same therapist, and I'm telling you, I make the joke to her that 
I'm funding her summer home. Um, <laughs> some days I meet with her every couple of weeks. I meet with her, and some days she gets a word in edgewise, and some days she doesn't. And like <laughs> like last week when I met with her, I said, "Man, you didn't be- get a chance to talk. I don't think I left you." And she said, "You're doing really well. You're really processing well." And I said, "Hold that thought for a couple more weeks." But it's healthy and it's normal, and I never, I was never embarrassed about it at all. And and I talked to everybody about it and say, "Listen." you want to get through this career and you want to make a difference to people, but you want to have your own joy in life, talk to somebody. Yeah. And that's what we got to do. Yeah. I love that you're sharing that, um, Chief, because um, within departments, right, um, within fire departments, police departments, all first response, um, I mean, this is why we started doing that, is to try and make it easier for first responders to be able to talk within their departments. So you yourself are sharing um, with us that, you know, as a first responder, um, going out on those jobs. And for our listeners, um, you know, hearing, you know, Chief Glenn talk about his own experiences and what he, you know, um, had been going through of those, remembering those calls, um, it's important for, for our listeners to hear that, that it's not just a guy driving around in the red truck. No. Um, it's the <coughs> people and you hold all those, put it in the backpack, right? Or the, you put we that do. rock in and you hold that rock in and um, and they just keep adding up all the time. But I love that you shared that. And, and the reason being is because um, you as a young first responder, right, up here, and you had gotten... Um, already had you know a number a number amount of traumatic experiences that you were holding on to and as you said remembering the the family or the the mom um you know dropping down in the driveway you remember those cries or those wails um but when you went to see someone like were you were you ashamed or were you were you fearful at the beginning to, to tell anyone in your department that you were going um, to did see somebody or did you hide it for a while or trying to fix it yourself? or guess, yeah. Share with us a little bit about that, that part of it. That's a really good question, Linda. So I, I'm saying probably about 20 years ago was the first time I did it. And, yeah, the answer to your question is yes. I wasn't embarrassed, but I didn't, I didn't share it. I, I kind of didn't. At that point, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm, you know, becoming hypersensitive in my old age and mm. you know i joke around that you know i was that rock star and now i'm becoming you know becoming soft as i get older and yeah. uh i to this day i still joke with my tiffany and say listen i wasn't this much of a weepy emotional you know clown when i was younger i said i was a badass and uh <laughs> she looks at me and goes no nah, yeah, yeah yeah she said no you've been sappy your whole life yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> but, um i think so too probably but yeah no the answer to your question i i didn't i didn't share it right away if people asked me my closest friends i would tell and the were they people, also in the in in that they field? Were, yeah my closest friends in the in, in the field they mm-hmm. i i would they weren't as open as me and you know, sometimes open made people very uncomfortable, and I get that. Even to this day, sometimes I'm very open to the point where I make people uncomfortable, but it's not as much. Mm. But I talk to them and, and explain that something's got to give mm. because I don't want to be one of those people. And I watched some of my, my veteran people that I, I learned from, mm. but I watched how they dealt, and some of them dealt with – you know, they, you know the deal. They they're gonna go to the bar and they're gonna they're gonna 
throw about six shots back or they're gonna yep. they're gonna go home and they're just gonna drink until they fall asleep yep. or to help them sleep because they or, can't right or or the you know the knee injury that all of a sudden now they're they're still taking pills afterward. You, you could see it. You could yep. see it. And they're good human beings. They gave of themselves. And they're like, I can't do that. Mm. I uh, I went almost 20-something years without having to drop by alcohol. And everybody would look at me and go, did he have a problem? Never had a problem. I just decided I had a good time without it, and I didn't need it. And I didn't want to put myself in that position. I mm. will have an occasional social drink now. But yep. I just didn't want to do that because yeah. it's too much going on in my head mm. um, i i make the joke all the time that if, if sigmund freud was still alive he could quarantine my brain and make a career of it and mm-hmm. it's there's so much so much and you know what i'm saying jay it's, yeah. it's so much and i went through a tough period years ago where some of those ghosts that i talked about yeah i'd wake up screaming with nightmares and it would be the same situations, but it would involve some of my peers. So if we had a fatal call, I'd be in charge of the call. And then when I get there and I realize it's one of my coworkers did the same thing. And it, it just ate me alive. And that's mm. when I started looking for different therapists. And mm. I finally found the right one that, that uh, I connected with. And that's the thing I guess I would urge anybody. If you get into therapy, I, I think it's great. It's one of the best things. If you don't necessarily connect with someone right away, don't give up on it. Yeah. You know, look around, talk to people because, mm. um, yeah, I went through probably four or five. And, and my therapist that I have now, um, she's phenomenal. Mm. And she's great because, as you know, knowing me, I can talk to a doorknob for an hour. Mm. She'll be the one that'll go, you know, stop. Yeah. Are you, li- <laughs> are you listening to yourself? Are you hearing what you're saying? You don't really believe that, do you? So stop, and then she'll give me strategies on different things. Yeah. And uh, it's great. It's one of the best things I ever did. I love that you're uh, saying that again, like the the whole thing of we've had other first responders come in and say they tried, tried therapy, and, and the therapist says to them, just go home and have a bubble bath and whatever. And... Um, and and of like yeah that's not what I need here mm. and um and they gave up and, and never went back and it was a couple of times that that had happened in their interviews and yeah so you know urgent yeah don't give up on it if you still feel that you know it's going to benefit from being able to talk to somebody well then do so and not necessarily I mean if you have a safe person I think right. people people need to see. If, feel safe right um that their information or their their business is not going to be talked about everywhere so um i think that a safe person or who you connect with is a a really great way so it might not be you might not want to go to a therapist but it might be someone else that you feel really good about that you can share and unload a little bit um you might not get rid of the whole backpack but at least you're going to be able to unload and be able to process something in a healthy way and talk about it with somebody else. And I, I, I remember having that conversation with you, um, Chief, um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, <coughs> it was, it was you were having a tough time. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what, what, how we got into the conversation, but we did. And you shared with me, and I've shared that many, many times with talking to different people on a, on a different level that, and it's sort of what inspires me um, to to do what I'm doing, to talk about um, helping first responders, because 
we had lost Alex and, and you had come in and I started to have to go back a little bit with it to sort of get to the root of this this thing that I'm trying to explain. But um, you had come in and um, I got to know you through Al- our loss of Alex. And, um, and you were... You were very, very compassionate, um, you know, t- towards me of and our family of sort of letting us know you were going to be there um, for us and uh, if we needed anything. And right away, first of all, I knew you were genuine in saying that to, to me. Um, so after, you know, a couple of years down the road and, and we've had this wonderful connection and, um, and you shared with me a- about, you know, what you see, you know, when you're driving down the street in a neighbourhood that you, you work in and you also live in, right? You lived in at mm. the time, um, that it was it was, it was was hard and, and you were having a hard time with that at the time. And we had a yeah. really, really good conversation um, about, you know, being able to sort of work through some of those things. And um, so anyway... That inspired me. That hit me that time that, whoa, there's so many first responders struggling with this. It opened my eyes that all of all of you um, go through this at some point in your career. Um, it's just a matter of when that backpack is going to spill over. Right. And, um, and that's when I felt, yeah, okay. This is what you need to do. You need to talk about it openly. My God, you know your your son Alex. I know him as Coco, not Alex. Yeah. Um, and you and I'd share stories, and we'd laugh about it. But he'd be so proud of what you're doing, and uh, you're making a difference. And you know, and I think it, with Jay, and I know some of the stuff you've gone through, Jay. You guys are making a difference, and that's that's from the heart. That people are going to listen and and see. <clears throat> for me, people that can overcome stuff like that, it's the ultimate strength. And I know you don't feel strong all the time. Mm. None of us do. But it, you always inspire me. You do. It, uh. it, to, do, to channel into something positive. And I remember when you were talking to me about with life coaching and some of the things you were doing. Yeah. Um, it's impressive. And that's, that makes a difference to us because I think that's, I, I, I'd say for me, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, the one of the things that I talked to you about the families and mm-hmm. I had to be very careful too. Cause what I've looked back and I've learned is sometimes there were things missing in my life mm-hmm. and for whatever reason. Um, and I would throw myself into wanting to help people and, and extend that. And I didn't want to, you and I have a connection and, yeah. and we always will. And, and, but I didn't want to throw myself into everybody's lives trying to fill a gap that I had or whatever, my job so I had to be very careful of that but there are certain people along the way that, that they just inspire you and in what you do and uh it's positive you know and that's yeah. you, I don't know if that makes sense at all yes it does make sense it, it, it's uh well you inspire me it sir. helps us it helps me to see pe- strong people doing that stuff because it's uh if you're able to handle that and do what you do and and overcome that my bad day doesn't seem that bad mm. and you know what i mean yeah. if that makes sense at yeah. all and it's uh you know 
hard to explain, but I, I hope I explained it well. Uh, I, you don't need to explain anymore. <coughs> I, I get it. But um, Chief Glenn came in. Um, we lost Alex five years ago in October, and Chief Glenn came in. It was uh, it was it was near holiday season, and um, I think you were deputy at the time, maybe. Maybe, maybe I think we were deputy at yeah, the time. I think so. And um, he came. He came in, and he had this plant, <laughs> Christmas plant in a basket. And he's this man standing there, and he said, "Are you Linda?" And because I, I didn't know him, "Are you Linda?" And um, I said, "I am." He said, "Well, I just want to introduce myself. Um, I'm Jacqueline, um, Abington Fire Department, and I just wanted to." Um, come into you and let you you know that I'm very sorry for your loss and um, I'm here for you and he gives me this plant and I kept that plant alive for so long um, on the counter and you know I was like oh my god and I I just remember giving you the biggest hug and saying it's gonna be okay you know um, it was just very very shortly after Alex's passing I just remember saying it's gonna be okay Um, we're gonna get through this and uh yeah, um, and that was the start of our, our, our connection with each other. Each other, But, um, I mean, we've become good friends since then. And um, yeah. Very kind of you to say that. But the, the, the truth be told is I was just trying to get a coffee. That, that's all it was. And I saw this plant, and I said, I said darn it, that's going to look so good above their counter. And, uh, and yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and it's, it's um, yeah. you know... It, you're one of those inspirational people as well, Jay, as you. It's, we, we need to overcome things, and that's – if you tell the stories of what's going on, and, and we all have one. So it's yeah. like I can, I can name every member of my department, and I guarantee you they could sit here and say the same exact things as me. They could. Mm-hmm. And whether they've been on five years or ten years or 20 or 30, whatever, they could. Some of them aren't as comfortable with it. Some of them may process things a lot better than others do. But – they're all individuals, and we all carry that. So it's a matter of, I guess for me, it's always been, I want to pay attention to everybody I work with and, and the people around me because it's those little things here and there that, hmm, that's not normal for him. Yeah. He normally does this. Noticing, or, yeah. Um, the guys used to, when I was on this incredible diet, I used to make these egg whites with, you know, hot sauce on it, and they have their own descriptions that I won't use over the air of what it is. <laughs> and... If I stopped eating that for a week or something, they'd be like, you okay? Everything going on? Because <laughs> yeah. that's not your routine. You yeah, I mean? yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. You find that, and that's what we got to do, you yeah. know, to, to kind of get through some of this stuff. And um, yeah. this is – what you guys do is feel-good stuff for me. That To see it, it's um, – I can only imagine, without you even realizing, uh, the, the impact you're making with people without even knowing it, the, the quiet people out there that aren't chatty like me um, – so this is good. I think it's all part of the process of trying to remove a little bit of that. I don't know whether you call it a stigma or oh, just yes. removing removing people feeling that it's weakness and it's not. Yes. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I would, you know, I pride myself on, on being involved with everything, but at the same time, we're all human. And mm, we, yeah. um, I, I guess I'm going to speak a little bit about, so one of our retirees that lived a terrific life, great guy. Uh, he passed away last night, and he was in his 80s. And oh. But one of the things I remember from him when his first name, and I was telling his family this today, is he had a scrapbook, and he always had these pictures of you know fires and incidents. And there was one picture of him 
where he's on a stretcher and he's unconscious and they're carrying him out. And and I'm young, so I I'm I've got all the answers and I'm needling him and he's giving it back to me. And I'm like, You're so proud of that darn picture. You lay in there and he says, I would have thought you'd want one of your face or standing up. What's the deal? And with the straightest face, he looked at me and he was like, You know what that is? That shows I gave everything I have, and that's what I do. And that, that shows my entire career. And I immediately, for the young guy with the wise ass with all the answers, I immediately stepped back and went, no kidding. Yeah. And it clicked with me. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, we had a lot of funny stories and stuff like that. But I, I shared that with his family today, and I said, that's so true. Yeah. You know, we, we do, and we're in there, and we all want to be involved and get involved. But – there's a, there's a toll that comes with that. Yes. So what you got to do is how do we lighten the load a little bit? And yeah. that's sometimes it's, you know, stressor briefing after calls we try to do. And sometimes it's talking with someone. And um, recently, you know, when I took over, you know, after John had retired, one of the things we did was I had originally written a policy as a captain 15 years ago for our, our critical incident stress management because I was on the team and I thought it was important. And back then it was still you know, kind of pulling teeth a little bit to get some people to go. And they'd make fun of it and say, oh, it's the group hug and this and that. And they didn't know. Mm. So when I took over, someone had asked something about it. And I said, you're right. We had an old policy here. It's a good chance to pull this out. And we pulled it out because we had you know, a fatality from the train. And it was just, again, we, we did it. And we revamped it. And things that we had that were suggestions, now, that, now they're automatics. We had a list of 15 type of calls. We pull people off of the call immediately. We're going to call the team in to talk. We're going to give people the option of afterwards, you want to go home for the night? Mm. We're going we're gonna to cover you. That, before it was like a lot of times people were like, I'm not going home. He's not going home. You know, everybody's looking at each other. But I actually got feedback from a few people that went into some stress debriefings and they were like, that was pretty cool. That was all right. And, uh, so we're trying to open that up a little bit more. Um, we have EAP programs and try to explain it to people. That's through our town, but explain to them it doesn't have to be just that. It can be about helping balance your checkbook. and Because all those things in life that we do every day, mm. they fail when, when the rest of us is falling apart. Oh. And, and, and that can be our relationships, yeah. and our, our marriages, and our financial situation. Everything overflows. If, if, if you're coming apart or you feel like you're coming apart with all the stuff at work it's all the other stuff too so yeah absolutely i mean for first responder um again for the listeners you know i think a lot of time first responders when they when they finally get help because a lot of you're good at hiding things all of you Mm. a lot of you are right yeah um by not sharing it even from your families right because you don't want to bring that at home to your families but you're acting differently around them um especially when you're you know struggling with that last call Mm. or maybe those couple of calls right but yeah finances i mean those things come up all those little things come up like as far as hey i i didn't make a car payment or i didn't make mortgage payment because it's the last thing that you're thinking about when you're going through a mental health challenge right and um, and then th- things start to fall, you know, fall apart a little bit. And then before you know it, that's adding to your stress because y- y- you can't figure out how to be able to separate certain things and be able to, you right. know, fix them 
so to speak. And they all everything all just jumbles up all together then and it's just overwhelming. And then it then ends up being in a crisis situation where right. everything needs to be you know, solved out or worked out for a person, and that's what sort of inspired me to be to become a life coach for first responders. Also, is to help them with that end. I'm not a therapist, but I can certainly help with those type of things um, and being able to guide them in the right direction with goals and life goals and all that type of stuff. Um, but in your department, mm-hmm. when when your when your guys, um, you know, are going through say certain different things as you said um you know we notice when certain things are different or behaviors right. are different about a person like um are they would, would you say they'd be comfortable coming to you or coming to your 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 admin whoever whoever they report to would you say they'd be comfortable going to you in your department to say i'm struggling with this i need help i and this could be naive on my part I think because I've worked with people for so long that even in the chief's position, um, everybody comes in my office, and that's just how it is. They'll come in, and um, we've had a few people that have struggled with different things, and we've handled it and helped them as best we can, but they've actually come in personally later on and said, hey, can I just talk? Mm. Um, so, yes, I feel comfortable with that. I, I Again, that could be naive, but I also have a great team around me. Mm. Um, so, like, my deputy chief and, and my captains and, and just, you know, even my, my you know, my union e-board members, they're all looking out for each other. And mm. that's that's what we're trying to cultivate is let's look out for each other. It's, um, you know, the old adage, Jay, that, you know, this guy might irritate me, okay? You know, it might be a pain in the butt, but he's our pain in the butt. Mm. And we're a team, and we may be as dysfunctional as it comes sometimes, but we're looking out for it. So, answer your question, Linda. Yeah, I, I do feel comfortable with that. Uh, not everybody, not mm. everybody's gonna, but hopefully they have their person they can kind of connect with. But we make it clear that absolutely we're here to help. How do you make it clear? Just by example, I think by example, and we've had challenges along the way. Is um, out there speaking with them just really just kind of you know today i was talking with someone about something and we're sitting there eating you know leftover pan pizza the guys made the night before we were talking about certain situations and saying hey those days are gone the old days are gone when guys used to do this and uh you know this is the thing where we're here to help each other and Mm. i can guarantee you that you know you come to us um we're gonna gonna get you the help that you need yeah um, do you eat with the guys too? Sometimes yeah. it depends. I'm uh, I'm not in the office as much as maybe probably most chiefs are. I'd rather be out on the apparatus floor with them or whatever. Some people see my former group that I was a captain of and deputy. No disrespect to the other three groups, but they can cook anything, and it, it, it's kryptonite for a fat guy. Man, I, I'm around the corner. <laughs> I can smell it, and I'm like. I know what group's on. They either got the smoker going or they got their homemade pizzas going. And I'm like, I'm coming. And usually someone will poke their head in and um, say, hey, you want to join us? I'm like, absolutely. And I I have kind of a running joke with one of the members that, and I tell them that I understand the, you know, the respect part of the job. But I said, we're in the station and there's no one around from the public. I'm Jack. I'm not the chief. Someone comes in from the public or out in the call, I'm chief. So one of them, likes to needle me on that. And I said, no, I'm Jack. So he runs it all together as one word. One of them will poke his head and goes, Chief Jack. 
Cheap Jack. <laughs> it's all one word. Cheap Jack. You want to eat with us? So I get that opportunity, and it's great. And I hope it always. I hope they always feel comfortable enough to, you know, ask me to do that. I think with the job, sometimes there's going to be times where people are going to be irritated because for this job, I have to make decisions that not everybody's going to agree with. Mm. But, but it's always going to be with the best of intentions to try to help the department and to help people out. And uh, I will. I will finish my career being able to look myself in the eye and look in the mirror and say, man, I'll do anything I can to try to help my people and, and our people. It's our team. Um, can't always do it, and there's going to be people that are going to be upset with me or someone else, but I think the thing is to cultivate it, that, hey, come on in. We're a team. Um, Your door is open. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things, and it's 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 subtle and it's no big deal, but I think a lot of times, and Jay can correct me what, right or wrong in this, but in some different departments you can go in and it's very formal when you go in the chief's office they have it's all you know like a certain way and it's just chairs there and there's certain chairs it looks like you're in the principal's office and mm. i didn't change a lot when i took over with john i said because it's you know one we're trying to get a new station in a few years and i'm superstitious that i don't want to mess with it but <laughs> the only thing i did differently was um the old the town manager was getting rid of an old round table that he had mm-hmm. i grabbed that and then i ordered four chairs and I removed filing cabinets out of this. We got a round table with chairs in my office. And when we talk and guys come in, I come out from behind the desk and we sit at that table. Mm. We have coffee and we have, you know, water stains from the iced coffee on the table and stuff. And that's how it is. And um, that's how it, that's how I feel it needs to be, right or wrong. That's, that's the only way I know how to do it. Um, I'm sure at times people are like, oh, my God, would he just, you know, whatever. But that's okay. What do you think that that makes them feel when you when you sit around at that round table with them? I hope I hope they understand that that I love our team and I and and I love I love seeing our team grow. So I hope they feel like we're all a team. Mm. I don't know because sometimes you know sometimes it's adversarial. It just automatically, with people feel like the old school like years mm. ago that um, you know you have management and you have this and that whatever. It's like. I was on our union e-board, too, and one of the greatest – anything we've had that's been successful is working together. I, I hope they, yeah. they understand that. I guess that's the thing is I hope they understand it, and I try to put that out there because it's sincere. It's not – it's no BS. It's no one it's won't smoke up anyone's, you know, posterior. It's, mm. it's real. So I hope that's okay, but I have had people confide in me and open up to me about certain things that – no one else would know. And mm. they've felt comfortable enough at different times to reach out to me because I think they trust me on, on a certain level. Um, you're not going to get 100% from everybody, but if you try to cultivate a situation where people are comfortable talking about things, mm. it's going to be better for all of us in the long run. And Absolutely. One of the greatest compliments I had, and I will take it to my grave, that, but it, it kind of – where my brain's at is when I first became a captain, um, the family of one of the guys on my shift, um, wife and, and, and this gentleman's father came to me and said, I'm so glad he got on your shift because I know you're going to look out for him. Mm. And, uh, and th- this, his father is a firefighter. Mm. And he said, I know if you're in there, you ain't coming out without him. And that makes me feel good. And his wife said the same thing. And I took that to heart, to the almost to the extreme where I'm like, oh, my God, no. Yo, what's he doing? What's this different? I'm doing stuff. You yeah, do, yeah, but yeah. it means a lot. So yeah. um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think that, you know, 
the feeling that I'm getting, I mean, if I was working for you, um, sir, I definitely feel that I would um, be very comfortable. Uh, it, it, it sounds like as if there's a, a whole team spirit that you're, you know, you're all working together for the, the, the greater cause, right? And um, and and that's serving the, 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 your community that you're working in, right? And I think that when you have an open door and you have, um, you know, be able to have conversations and you're sitting down with your men and women in your department having dinner with them, meals with them, it's keeping that connection, right? Not just because you became chief that your door is closed, but you're still having that connection with them. I, I just feel that, wow, I mean, I just think about how enjoyable it must be actually for them to go to work each day knowing that they don't have that pressure or if they were feeling unwell, um, that they wouldn't have that sick feeling in their stomach that adds to the stress that they can't go and talk to someone in the department. And you're fostering that. I hope uh, so. Oh, yes, you are, I sir. hope they feel that way, Linda, yeah. because we we have, we're only as good as each other. And, and I hope that's the case because... I know there's times, and I, and I see it already, you know, just with the situations where I know folks are going to be upset with me saying, you know, we got to go do this. we got to get this done or whatever, and try mm. to, you know. But I hope they feel that way, and I hope they know that. And that's what I try to work at. And I think we all do as a team, but it's it's, it's not me. It's, it's you know, my deputy and my captains and, like I said, the e-board members. Like, we truly are blessed with a great team that all look out for each other mm. and – like anything else, we can drive each other insane half the time, but we have a good team, and it and it, it has to be that way because I think if you don't, if you have people pulling against you too much, I I get the whole thing. It's easy, you know, when you feel like the person that's in the top position if they're they're open to it, but you got to have buy-in from everybody else. And mm. I'm fortunate to have that, but I've also been in situations before where it's not that way. Either the person at the top. Didn't, wasn't interested in doing that. It was a lot of I, I, I rather than we, we, we. Mm-hmm. And same thing below, too, you know, with other people that are part of the team. They're just like, yeah, no, whatever. Um, so I'm mm. really blessed in that area. I hope it's that. I hope that's the case. I, I, I do. I, I feel confident that it might be, but yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, many, many conversations that we've had, um, in, you know, in doing interviews here, um, myself and Jay have talked about um, with different chiefs and different people in, in the head, you know, in officer roles and departments. And, you know, it, we've talked about it many times, Jay, about it starts at the top. Yes, ma'am. Right? It starts at the top. Like, and if, if those guys, yeah, are, are sort of find someone are comfortable talking amongst their peers, great. But then... Is it going to be able to go any further if the top is not supportive of right. supporting the men and women that they they are working for them, right? And they work in a traumatic environment, right? It's known yeah. you're taking on this job, you're working in an environment that you're going to see have critical incidents day in day out, right? And um, so why not have that support and have healthy men and women, you know, in your department, knowing that yeah, I can. I can do my job. I can go talk to a therapist and I can go and get help and I can still do my job well mm. and become a chief. Well, thank you. But <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I'll yeah. still, I'll, I'm fortunate though. I'll still go back to that. It's, I'm lucky because I've got buy-in, you know, so many people and, and um, 
there's so many like unofficial leaders in our department that see it and even the younger people there are people and i call them the younger people get 10 years on the job rather mm. than that but watching them even in the last you know one of them i joke around with who's he he's a phenomenal guy uh, the only thing i'll tell you is he's army ems coordinator i'll leave it at that mm. young guy come on I felt threatened as hell by him when he came on because you know what? He came in and he had all the answers. He was the EMS, you know, the, the, this kid was phenomenal. And I'm thinking, hey, what happened to me, man? I thought I was like, I thought I was cool. <laughs> and I felt so threatened. And he came in, he was full of energy and everything. And I've talked to him since then. And I said, you know, you're one of the kids I respect the most. And he's grown so much and he gets it. And he, he jokes around and he says, um, you're going to be laughing at me, right, in about 15 years when I'm looking and going, these young guys don't know anything. I said, <laughs> I, said I, hope I'm a, I hope I'm alive when that happens. Yeah. But, yeah. but I see them in their growth, and, and hopefully they continue that. So that's what I mean. I'm really lucky in that area um, to, to work with some good people. So mm. uh, I, I, think the, I think the culture's kind of been there. It's just maybe as a team we're just expanding it a little bit more. And... Mm. Um, I'm always going to be open. I hope that helps. I try to make it help, but at the same time, it's got to be received, you know. And I and I think I, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. Well, like I think that if 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 your team were in a in an environment, are going into work every day, and working a shift, and and you know there was a chief sitting in his office and the door was closed and yeah. it wasn't open, guess what? They'd feel something very different. And I I probably nearly guarantee you wouldn't be invited to the table to eat with them. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's you know, you have to give yourself some credit there. Jay, do you want to chime in on this? There's been a lot of conversation going on there that I know you can probably relate to as a first responder. I, I sure can. And, uh, and, man, when I listen to you talk, Chief, and I hear uh, your, your perspective as a chief, recognizing, uh, you know, key leaders in the department, these are the types of viewpoints I think that lead to a really healthy department. And when I hear you talk about, um, you know, openly about a therapeutic process and given really uh, like valuable insights into that process, like don't, you know, go for the, for the first therapist necessarily if there's not a good connection. These are things that often get overlooked when people are just going, you know, it's okay to get help. Like if you think about the nature of that relationship, it's, um, if you think about the nature of a therapeutic relationship and what's involved, how important it is to, to have a connection and to hear a chief talk about these things openly, um, I just keep thinking about the health that that adds to an environment, to yeah. a department, and I just keep thinking uh, what outstanding leadership I, I consider yes. that. Uh, we often talk about the word stigma on on this on this program on mm. this podcast, and a lot of the key actions that you're talking about taking from that chief's office seem to me to be things that that add to overcoming stigma. Yeah. Uh, to to showing that it's okay to making people feel, uh, you know, that they're not in jeopardy if if they need help. To understanding that other people who've not only had successful careers but risen to the top level, the chief of the department, have also had to overcome these things and have had to find ways to bring balance into their life if, if they wanted to um, prolong their career. So I just applaud you, sir, and I'm wondering if um, what stigma means to you and if there's anything other than the many ways that you already listed that you think uh, 
we, as a culture of anybody that cares about first responders uh, or one that, that does the job themselves, what can we do to continue to overcome stigma? First off, thanks for the kind words. Um, don't know if I deserve all those kind words, but thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of a, a great team. But as far as the stigma goes, I, I guess the biggest thing is open, but I guess if you're looking at it from the sense from like the public or anything along those lines, that can be – that's a tough relationship because everyone that does this job, we care and we want to do right by people. And it's, um, I know with the world of social media now, immediately, you know, someone can say the worst thing. Yeah. And um, it travels. And it can be one of those things that, you know, um, you know, these firefighters, they probably, you know, I interrupted their checker game the other night or this or that. And what they don't realize is they may, you know, the guys you're talking about, the guys and gals you're talking about, might be just trying to process a call they had two days before and yeah not every day is 100 miles an hour Mm. but some days it's 30 miles an hour but it feels like it's 150 in your head Mm. and a lot of times people are just trying to get back to processing things in a way that hey i'm ready for the next one because otherwise it it accumulates so Mm. uh it's a tough it can be a tough relationship sometimes but we're there to serve and we're there to help and um not that I would advocate for them bringing in a bunch of, uh, you know, goodies for us, us full-figured guys. But uh, <laughs> but it's those little things here and there that make a difference. Um, people that, you know, we've had in traumatic calls, we never hear back or anything because it's, you know, it's, it, it, and I get it, even if they wanted to come in, sometimes it's the reminder of the worst day of their lives. Mm. But those people that do, wow, what a difference it makes. And mm. even the... Even the most stoic of our members, I guarantee it makes a difference to them. If you just stopping by a station or just kind of a gesture and saying, hey, listen, appreciate what you did or you helped my mom out a little bit or, or mm. you know, this or that or whatever. And we, we are lucky because we get that um, and uh, we're spoiled by that. But I think it's – I guess that's the best thing. I don't know if that answers the question at all. Jay, I don't know if it does, but I think sometimes I think the public doesn't see it, and not that they need to because Mm. that's not their role, but I guess if I was explaining to someone from the public and they wanted to know, um, sometimes we're carrying calls for months afterwards, and you see us and, you know, you may look at us and say, well, geez, this person's kind of quiet today, or, you know, what are they, they think they're better than us, or this or that or whatever, and they're misunderstanding it that, we, we see some tough stuff and mm. we deal with some things and it's so different now than it was say 15 years ago. It's, I tell people before it was like, you know, you know, when I first started my career it was, you know, 50% EMS, 50% fires, maybe a car, you know, a few car accidents. Now it's like we're social workers, mm. we're psychiatrists sometimes, we're um, life coaches, uh, we're paramedics uh, or extended family members sometimes for people that, you know, the, the, the person that's determined to keep his independence, but he's 80 years old and he's had a falling out with his family and they're out of state and he's determined to live in his house. And obviously I'm, I'm thinking of one person in particular and as stubborn as the day is long, and but he wants to stay in there and you can see things deteriorating for him. We do everything you can to do it and it's, 
all the town departments, the, the little things like they're helping him out, you know, with his food and things like that. But um, we care, and yeah. and and it hurts when you hear the people think, oh, they're just doing this for that or whatever. But and it's the minority. It is. So I guess the best thing, if I was talking to the the public, just say, your people care. Mm. Because you don't do this just for the money. No one's getting rich. Um, no. You you have to care, and it satisfies for me. It's selfish for me that I need to satisfy a need inside me. I, I need to feel worthwhile, and I need to help. And that's something I've learned in therapy You know, over the years is uh, I need to fill that something inside me from wherever it is growing up that I need to feel worthwhile and needed and helping. And it fills something inside me. And I think a lot of people are like that to a different level. Um, so any type of positive feedback just to say, hey, you know, saw you guys the other day, man. You guys look good out there whatever. That goes a long way. But I think the visits from people, yeah, that's the best. Yeah. It's the best. I love really that. It really is. Yeah. So. I definitely think it's a, 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 you know, a calling for sure, right, um, yeah. Jay? We talked about it in an interview the other day. And um, the feeling I got from when I was talking to our, our, our last guest, is I think it's going to be into released this week um but he had sort of expressed um you know it's a calling and not many people are are it's not for everybody right right but you you can start to say well i'm doing this because i want to help people i want to help others or be a service for others right but um without you even having to say it right let me come from you you feel it right Mm. you feel that energy coming from and i felt that from him um did a night when he when he he was talking and i feel that from you also chief that um it just comes from you um what's the word i'm looking for emits emits from you right it just talks too much no No. it it just emits from you so when you think it it just comes from radiates yes it radiates from you it just comes from you um and it's the same sort of feeling i'm getting from from the other interview that we did last week it's sort of yeah you're doing what you're meant to be doing and not only are you doing what you're meant to be doing to for the service of the community for the town of abington are so lucky to have you um, your men and women are so lucky to have you because, believe me, there's, there's going to be some firefighters listening to this. But they're going to like, we don't have that. And um, that. so we don't have that. And uh, we wish we did have that. So I think that you're setting an example. You're setting a, a wonderful example of how things can be, can be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the dark clothes. You no. can work as a team. You can work together all for the health and wellness of each other, right, mm-hmm. while you're serving the community. And um, and it doesn't have to be. And, you know, the word stigma that Jay, you know, asked you about earlier on, a lot of stigma, um, you know, coming from, say, the labour, like the men and women that are working in, in, in departments and first response, a lot of it's self-imposed um, right. stigma, fear of being judged, um, shame, all all of that words that you could think of that go along with that um, of why for a reason why they won't go and seek help. Um, well, it's because they've probably and I've again I'm I'm going to do it again, Jay. Um, it's because if someone goes to seek help. And another first responder is looking on within the department. 
and this man or woman went and got help and 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 was taken care of was given resources and support from um the administration within the department well another first responder seeing that is going to believe if i need help i know i'm going to get the same the same support but if a first responder or a guy goes and goes and, and seeks help and they don't receive that support from the administration and they're penalized yeah. or ridiculed because of it well then the other first responder looking on is going to say right. I'm not going to get help because that's going to happen to me too absolutely and my life is going to be hell yeah and uh, I'm not going to do that <coughs> so um it's so important um that you're sharing this this is lo- lots of good information um yeah, it really is, and it's interesting that you, you know, the the comparison you made to to that other to that other guest, how they both radiated that passion yes. to to the calling. Yes. And what I thought about when you were saying that is is how when we spoke to that man uh, about what it takes to get over stigma, he he spoke about the importance of a collective or collaborative effort um, where everybody was on the same page. We have someone who's who's experiencing traumatic reactions, and it's clearly in the best interest of that person, uh, of the department, for the community that we serve, everybody mm-hmm. involved, yeah. to to get this person in touch with with the resources and help that they need, and to uh, now be speaking to to a fire chief who who's here uh, with with good things to say uh, about his entire team. And talking about working with the members of the executive board, um, it is uplifting to, to yeah. hear th- that type of perspective coming from a chief officer. Yeah, and I have no doubt in my mind that if a first responder then is looking on um, and, and and notices that um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, one of his teammates, right, is, is well and is sleeping a little better and mm-hmm. is maybe n- not hitting the bottle as much as it used to be um uh, yeah i mean it's this is something that we're striving for i mean his department has it yes you know ma'am I, mean? I, yeah. I guess i could tell you that it, it's interesting that you know a lot of people wonder and they say well would you have any suggestions for any of you younger people or people coming in that are feeling that way a little bit and I yeah. the only advice I guess I can give because everybody's different yeah but for me I look at it and you know I would say think of everything you went through to get to this point in your career and your mm-hmm. job look at the things you overcame look at the determination you did things with look at the courage you showed in certain areas stand up for yourself do what you got to do because yep. it's the greatest job in the world and I tell everybody this I love this job there's moments when I can't stand it, and like everybody else, but we love this job. So make it last and make it healthy for you. Mm. And do what you need to do. Mm. It, it's okay. Those days are long gone with that stigma. They, they should be long gone. That it's We're human. We make mistakes every day. And uh, I've, you know, you've known me for a while, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it, you've probably seen me at my worst. And, and I like to think I'm, I'm getting closer to it being a lot better than I used to be. And, and every day you want to get a little bit better. But yep. suggestions to guys out there that are you know might be struggling to find themselves, step forward, do the best you can with it. And, and you're your own greatest advocate. Just, just 
don't be afraid to do that because it doesn't make you weak. You're human. You know, we go through so much. You're a leader, Jack. Uh, right. you're, you're a leader. Standing up there and being brave and saying, you know what? I don't care if you're going to talk about me behind the back after I leave this table. I'm getting help. You need and to. And I'm, and I'm going to be healthy. And I am healthy. And I'm, my family are going to be healthy because I'm that. So talk all you want. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I love that you're saying that. I'm very fortunate because in our department, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't see any of that. I've seen it in other departments. I don't see any of that with ours. Mm. We can we can argue about ketchup bottles or, or anything else, or this guy didn't clean up or check his truck. With That's normal. I don't see any of that. I, I really don't. I and it, I don't think I'm naive with it either. I think our department, I'm very lucky that I don't think anybody would, would do that anymore, which is great because I think when I first came on the department, it definitely wouldn't have been that way. And it and I it's not disrespect to the guys that were there. That's just what they th- they thought was normal. Yeah. yeah, I don't see that anymore with us. And, and we're lucky. We're lucky in that area, and I wish everybody would feel that way. So. Yeah. So if someone was struggling, not in within your department, but just out there listening, mm-hmm. first responder to first responder, what words, I know you, you just said it there, but I just want you to start to say it again loud and clear. What advice would you give them to, to start a, a journey of healing? Know your self-worth and know who you are. And... You have to know your self-worth in both your job but also in your life because a lot of people go through anxiety and depression and they, they start to believe, it, stuff adds up with them. They start to believe the narrative that's going in their head that isn't accurate. And it's, so it's okay. It's okay yeah. to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling right, and but you know what? I've done some good things to get to this point in my life and I've worked hard to get my job and I've worked hard to become a paramedic or EMS or a police officer and uh, it's okay to want to get back to normal and when you know you're not feeling normal. And you owe that to yourself. You owe it to your family and the people that are important to you. Because as much as I love my job, I need to pay my bills too. And the reason why I want to pay my bills is because I want to take care of my family, the people I love. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's why I want to live every day. And that's my purpose. And I guess I would say that to people. And it's easier said than done sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, as someone that's had some tough things I've gone through it's easier said than done sometimes but just try to know your self-worth and say you know what you're having a bad day but it's just a bad day and I uh, I'm blessed to be engaged to somebody that that is when I first took the job on she said to me enjoy the accolades right now because you are someone that's so uncomfortable with accolades but they're going to be bad days and they're going to have to outweigh it she said and she tells me that she says just enjoy it. You deserve it. And she's, uh, she brings out an inner strength in me that I didn't know I had. Mm. And uh, I'm lucky and blessed in that way. Not everybody necessarily has that person, but you have to be your own person. And you have to learn to stand up for yourself on that. Um, and uh, I know it's kind of a cliche we're hearing all the time, but it's yeah. okay to not be okay. It's totally, yeah. it's totally, we're seeing things in our careers that people normally wouldn't see. Yeah. You know what, if you don't mind, talk. let's talk through it, and I'll explain why afterwards, okay. if that's okay. okay. Um, so it's, it, it's okay to not be okay. It's, it's something that's normal, and my guess is you're probably going, Jay, to the fact that we're hearing the train in the background come through. 
Yeah, that one gets me too. Mm. Yeah. That one gets me. Um, yeah, it always does. The sound of the train always does. I've, I've been on all but one of the fatalities that the old colony lines had with Abington mm-hmm. since it come up. Um, it's certain things that trigger, and there's trigger points that we have. Um, I think I'd mentioned to you guys before, um, I hear the train bell in the background, and I get goosebumps every time. And I'm the same guy that will pull up at a train crossing, and I'm three car lengths back, even though I'm the front person. Because I feel that rumble of the train going by, and I get goosebumps, and I, I, I get a little itchy, um, because I, I see the result of the worst case scenario. Mm. So it's those, it's the smells, the sounds, um, remembering going back to those things. But it's okay that I know it's coming. Tell myself that's normal. You can that's prepare okay. for it, and you kind of do. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's in the the time the train coming by. Yeah, we do that, and. Uh, that's what you were up to, weren't you? That's exactly what I was up I to. I know. I didn't think of it at first, and I heard it in the background, and I remembered us pausing before, and I'm like, okay, they're going to want me to pause here on this, and then I was just like, uh, I could feel myself tensing up a little bit. I, I feel a little different at the time, so I do exactly what you're after on that, and you know that. You've been there. Mm. Yeah. Just the, the whole um, principle of you – being a team player um, with your team, um, the men and women who work for you, having that open door, um, it's just so refreshing um, to be able to hear that. And it's something that we we strive for, not only having you know your department foster this wonderful way of um, dealing with things with mental health um, and first response, but we hope that other departments are listening in and um, saying, oh, maybe do something what they're doing. Maybe if the department is not too well or healthy or there's a lot of friction or a lot of um, tension um, within the department, maybe something needs to change. And uh, you can take something from this man's book, for sure. Mm, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, Chief, what a breath of fresh air it was to listen to um, how your your character applies to your leadership, especially yeah. where it's applicable to first response. And um, I, I really think that you're making a difference uh, on a subject matter that really matters. Yeah. So thank you so much, and thank you for coming in and, and taking part in this discussion with us too. Yeah, Thank you, guys. I'm so honored you. that you invited me, seriously. We, we, all the honours on this side of the table, sir. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Chief Glenn shared with us openly that he always wanted to be a firefighter. He loved helping people right off the bat. He talks about how over the years he started to feel the weight of those tough calls, and he described how that affected him. Some of them he still remembers today. The chief shared how important it is to unload, as he did, without shame or embarrassment. How can a first responder get through a long career without doing that? Simply put, they can't. So talk to someone. Learn to communicate. Find a therapist, a friend who you trust, or a family member. It can help you begin to experience joy in your life, just like Chief Glenn is experiencing in his life now. We had a very authentic moment in this podcast where Chief Glenn explains in real time the thoughts a first responder might have 
or the feelings they may experience in response to a train's whistle. Think about the many other sights, sounds, and associations that might produce a response for many first responders. As a first responder, it might just take one call to help you get on the right path to start your own journey of healing. Still, the chief says, don't give up if you don't connect with a therapist right away. Keep trying. Till next time. Till next time.